1: Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and ladies and gentlemen, the Dolly Parton to my Kenny Rogers, the captain.
2: And we can rely on each other, aha. Uh-huh. Making love to one another. Aha. Uh-huh. It's good to be seen and good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend.
1: This week, we are very happy to be featuring World Court Mocha Blonde Stout from the good people over at Legal Remedy Brewing Company. This is a blonde stout with coffee aroma and flavor finished with a hint of white chocolate, garage grade four and a quarter bottle caps. And here are some people that we would like to thank. First up, a big thank you to Lindsay in Cortland, Ohio. And a big cheers, mates, to Lucy over in London. Next up, we have Michaela from Winthrop, Massachusetts. And a big shout-out to Denise in Harriman, Tennessee. Next up, we have Austin. He's a drummer, and he says he loves the Garage Beats. He's He also went to school for computer, so mm. double cheers to Austin there. And last but certainly not least, we have Jennifer in San Antonio, Texas. Everyone we just mentioned went to TrueCrimeGarage.com and contributed to this week's beer fund, and for that, we thank you.
2: Yeah, and everybody stay safe out there. Make sure you check in on your loved ones. Don't go out if you don't need to. And everybody hang in there. We're all in this together. And that is enough of the business.
1: Everybody gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. We've all seen the movies about con men, scam artists, and the smooth-talking types. Someone quick to play you for the fool, or someone in it for the long game, the slow play. Sometimes they manage to be so good that they leave the cops scratching their heads after the grifter skips town with everyone's money. But those are the movies, just entertainment. They require a suspension of disbelief. There is a real life case that makes those Hollywood scam artists look like amateurs. In this case, the con man fools the almighty FBI time and time again. This man turned on his friends, used the feds to keep him out of prison, and anyone that got too close or knew too much. With total disregard for human life or relationships, he disposed of them. Just how twisted was this man? And what do we really know about his murders or motives? This is True Crime Garage. This is the case of Scott Lee Kimball. In 2005, Scott Lee Kimball received his punishment for theft and for fleeing. This is for the time he split from the Montana prison release and stole money and a truck from the gas station that he was working at. Now, he pled guilty, but again, he was allowed to go free on supervised release. Just how supervised was this release? Well, that depends on whether you think, Fraud and murder are permissible activities while on supervised release. Things started to fall apart for Lori and Scott. The police were called to a domestic altercation at Scott and Lori's house, and they arrested someone for assault. Surprise, it was Lori. According to Lori, Scott called the cops and reported that she threatened to kill him and threw a vacuum at him. Police even issued Scott a restraining order protecting him from his wife. Lori was arrested again in August for violating the restraining order. She believes that Scott invented the whole thing, invented the whole story to get rid of her so that he could bring in his new girlfriend, this is Melissa Anderson, uh, get her out of the house and bring Melissa in. As you may recall, Scott had told the... FBI, that Jennifer Markham, who is missing, that she went to New York to kill Jason Price at her boyfriend's request. But he then later says that Price had strangled Jennifer Markham. And Scott, remember, he claims to have even seen photographs of the body. So agents, they go to speak with Jason Price. He has a completely different story. Surprise, surprise. There you go. Not only did he not kill Jennifer Markham, but he says that he actually suspects that Scott would be involved in the disappearance of Jennifer. And Steve Ennis, he's the boyfriend uh, of Jennifer Markham that, that Scott knew in prison. He denies that he ever involved Jennifer in any of his illegal activities. Scott seems like, and we suggested this last week, captain sounds like he made up the entire story one to get him out of prison Two, it ends up getting him involved with Jennifer Markham, who is now missing and he's pointing the finger at other people.
2: Well, we know Scott is a liar, but I also think Scott has a tendency when he was in the cell with this individual, he sees Jennifer Markham and she's very attractive and so he's smitten by her. And he wants to get to know her. He wants her for himself.
1: Well, and remember, he is put in charge of keeping an eye on Jennifer Markham because he told the feds that there's this whole murder for hire plot that's going on and that they need to keep an eye on her. She is missing now. So they're still trying to figure out, can we trust this guy uh, who's telling us these stories? Maybe maybe he is on the up and up and he is actually no, helping no, no, us. No,
2: no, no. Here, here's the problem. When somebody's in jail for fraudulent charges, this, this is your red flag from the beginning. You might have this guy be an informant for you, but you might have to track him very closely because him lying and scamming people is what, landed him into prison right
1: he's he's a known liar known scammer and it's kind of like
2: it's almost like they forgot about that you
1: got involved with him and now you're having a hard time believing that he could possibly be lying to you right so what's interesting though remember they did make him take a polygraph test to try to figure out is he on the up and up is he telling them the truth or what at least scott believes to be the truth and he passed that polygraph that was in regards strictly to the disappearance of Jennifer Markham. Now they're questioning all that behavior again, especially after they speak with Steve Ennis and they speak with Jason Price. So they want to give Scott another, the FBI decided to make Scott take another lie detector test. When questioned about Jennifer Markham, this time his answers showed deception. Right now, Scott, Around this same time, he moves into a rental house after the whole cattle ranch thing seemed to be a fail. He paid for the rental, this with checks, the bouncing kind, of course. Then in late 2005, Scott wrecked his Jeep and collected $10,799.16 in insurance money. Then two weeks later, Scott reported to the Lafayette PD that his trailer, remember the one that he stole. Well, he reported someone stole it from him. And for this, he collected $10,000 in insurance money. Meanwhile, Scott had his girlfriend, Melissa Anderson, use her name and her identification to purchase a Winchester rifle at Walmart. And then give it to him. Remember, because of his past charges and convictions, he is not allowed to possess a firearm. It's after he gets the gun from the new girlfriend that he decides, oh, I no longer need you. And he ditches Melissa this time for good. Now, let's get back to Jennifer Markham, who's missing. The FBI entered her name as a missing person in the National Crime Information Center database. Law enforcement agencies were under pressure from Jennifer's family to find her. Jennifer was a dancer who was involved with a known and convicted drug dealer, but she had parents who loved her very much and loved her little boy. Despondent that she was missing and frustrated at the lack of interest from the FBI, Her father, Bob Markham, asked a cop buddy of his to run his daughter's name through a national criminal database, hoping that maybe, you know, maybe she was in jail somewhere or even in witness protection somewhere. This search alerted Agent Schlaff. Remember, he's the one who had been working with Scott Kimball. Agent Schlaff contacts Bob and told him that they could not find Jennifer Markham, that she's she's missing, and he actually said that it, it appears that, quote, she just dropped off the map.
2: Well, it's not really clear what happened to her child either.
1: Well, the, the child is at, I believe, with the parents, with her parents.
2: Okay, so they're raising her child.
1: Correct. Okay. So now we have Schlaff. He tells Bob that a man was in possession of Jennifer's furniture. Remember, she moved in temporarily, very briefly, with Scott Kimball. Now, he does not mention Scott Kimball's name when he gives her this information, but he does give Bob a phone number of the man who has Jennifer's furniture. And when he hands it over, when he hands over the phone number, Captain, he says, Bob, When you call this number, ask for a guy named Joe Snitch. So Bob and his Mm ex-wife, which is Jennifer's mom, uh, Mary Willis is her name. They set up a meeting with this man, with Joe Snitch, a.k.a. we know to be Scott Kimball.
2: Yeah, Douche Kimball.
1: They told... Scott Kimball, going under the name of Joe Snitch, tells Bob and Mary that Jennifer was murdered and he knew who did it and even where her body could be located. And how it happened. Yeah. He offered to take them to her body, but he says this is somewhere far away. And Joe Snitch gave them a very bad feeling when they met, so immediately the two Decline. They didn't want to spend any more time with this guy. Hold on. on. Let's
2: not gloss over this too much. They're at a park. They they meet at a park, right? And when they meet at that park, he lets them know i I can show you everything. I can I can tell you everything, but but the reason why he can't he can't actually verbally say it, right? Because he says it's classified information. Mm -hmm. This is this is what was confusing to me at first. Like, why would he be able to show them, but not tell them? But oh, his his yeah. ruse is that this is classified information, so I'd get in big trouble. But I can show you. So they go back to their hotel, and and they're contemplating this. Well, at least her mother is. She's saying, "Well, I want to go up in these mountains. I want I want him to show me." And her. Ex-husband saying, you're going to die. If you do this, he's probably going to kill you. Uh, and her statement was, well, at least she would know. I'm like, yeah, but what would knowing matter if seconds later you're you're dead? And again, they don't know the history of Scott, but he's such a liar. Is he going to even tell him the correct information? But. What a strange thing for somebody to tell you, especially somebody that you think is a part of law enforcement.
1: Well, and somebody that gave you a bad enough vibe that you didn't want to go up into the mountains with him or to, to this place that he says is somewhere far away. Right. So I wasn't going to gloss over that. In fact, let's get into that a little more. Um, the, the weird move, as you stated, is Scott says to marry. You know, mind you, she's in her own hotel room. Let me come over to your hotel room that night, and I will demonstrate on you how Jennifer was killed. You know, we'll we'll play play a little role-playing and act this thing out. Right. Of course, Mary declines, but Scott shows up at Mary's hotel room anyway that night, and she very wisely does not let him into the room. Now, much later, this is much, much later down the timeline, but I want to point it out here so it doesn't get lost in the shuffle. Police actually found what would be looked to be like a contract that was drawn up of sorts. Right. This is when they were going through some of Scott's things. Now, the contract, air quotes, is dated with the date of that night, that same night that Scott shows up to the hotel room to Mary's hotel room saying, I can demonstrate for you how your daughter was killed. Mm -hmm. This contract, of course, is intended to be between Mary and Joe Scott or Joe snitch. The contract, according to the wording, allowed Scott to bind, gag, and possibly even have sex with Mary. Mary would have been signing off for consent to, as the contract states and quote, I am willing to participate and I expect to engage in bondage and sexual activity. End quote.
2: This This according to
1: the according to the Daily Camera. Now both parents came away from this certain that they had just looked into the eyes of their daughter's killer. Yeah. Two weeks after all of this weird shit, Mary Willis recorded a phone conversation with Scott. Again, referring to him as Joe. You heard some of that call at the start of the show last week. Now, on the call, Mary demanded to know more about Jennifer, but refused to play Joe Snitch's game. She would not sign the sex contract or allow Scott to demonstrate how her daughter was killed. Says, quote, you had your chance. This is what, what Scott responds with you had your chance. And then he proposed that Mary hire an escort on whom he could demonstrate the murder in front of her saying, quote, I'll show you exactly what happened and you can just be a bystander. He said, now Mary said she wanted a Christian burial. She tells Joe snitch, I want a Christian burial for Jennifer. Right. And then he responds with quote, you're, my daughter means every, I'm sorry. She says, my daughter means everything to me, to which Joe snitch responds, quote, you know what? I saw how much she meant to you when you wouldn't let me into your h- hotel room. And I want to apologize, captain, cause I'm kind of a little jumbled here because this guy is using so many different names. You know, he's Scott Lee Kimball. He's Joe Scott. He's Joe snitch. Uh, But just keep in mind, this is all the same guy. So
2: Yeah, it's a bunch of douches and one canoe.
1: Joe Snitch warned Mary that he could just disappear. He said his handler at the FBI, again, Agent Schlaff, would be obligated to move him, to hide him, or do whatever. And she should keep that in mind. He also said that Agent Schlaff dictated exactly what he could say. And what he was not allowed to say about the case and saying that he can't say much. And that's, that's going to what you said there, where he's like, I can act it out, but I can't tell you, which makes it's stupid. Even in a bizarro world, it makes zero sense. But, so,
2: But we need to keep on, on two points here is one, is one, we have this contract, like you said, the sex contract. And then we also have them all. Oh, you don't want to, to role play with me. Let's hire an escort and I'll we'll role play with her again. the The sex part is important because I believe with some of these murders, they were sexually motivated, and and we'll get into um, maybe why he confesses to some crimes and why he doesn't confess to other crimes later.
1: Right, and I mean these Mary could have been in danger just for knowing what she knew or for contacting this man that we know to be a dangerous man but she is uncertain of that but then on no, top of that
2: they're certain once they meet him
1: you 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 factor in the the um psychological thought and behavior there that maybe once he starts acting this out at some point he can't turn back or can't stop himself and he goes all the way through with it right so yet somehow <laughs> even after all of that, captain, this story just continues to get weirder. So in October of 2005, Scott met up with Bob and Mary. Uh, this time is in a parking lot. He's meeting with them again. This time he's meeting with them to hand over all of Jennifer's things that he had in his possession. Scott was accompanied by FBI agent Schlaff and the agent had acknowledged that they lost track of Jennifer. Despite this, Bob and Mary kept at it. Bob had his buddy. This is very smart. Bob has his buddy run the plate on the truck that is being driven by this Joe Snitch guy. Right. It comes back, of course, registered to a Scott Kimball. Then Bob and Mary, again, very smart. I applaud these people. Paid for a billboard to be set up outside of shotgun willies. That's the strip club where Jennifer worked and they were contacted. I mean, what could this hurt? We're going to put up this billboard. Maybe somebody reaches out to us. Maybe it even solves the crime. Who knows? But what ultimately ends up happening, which is a blessing they're contacted. Bob is contacted by a newspaper. So he ends up being interviewed, not about the case, but more about the billboard. And In the interview, Bob mentions very smartly that his daughter was last seen with Scott Kimball, who he says in the interview, and this comes out in the paper, seems to know a lot about her disappearance. This brings us to January of 2006, Captain. And for those of you keeping score at home, we have clearly pointed out that Scott was committing fraud He was stealing, lying, cheating, and very suspiciously, he was the last person seen with not one, not two or three, but four people who have vanished by this point. Now, Scott is looking for, I'm guessing at this point, he's probably looking for a big score, something bigger than his nickel and dime stuff. Right. And an opportunity presented itself when a man named Cleve Armstrong decided to take a vacation. Now, who is Cleve? He is a successful optometrist and friend of Scott Kimball's. Scott and his mother rented space in the same building where Cleve's practice was located. Cleve goes on vacation, and Scott got to work using Cleve's financials. Uh, Scott moved thousands of dollars. He stole all these documents from Cleve's workspace, and he moves thousands of dollars from Cleve's money market account to his checking account, to Cleve's checking account. Then over the next three weeks, he forged nearly $55,000 worth of checks to his own companies. So basically he's having Cleve's money market account, move a bunch of money to his personal checking account, and then having Cleve write checks to Scott Kimball's companies. Remember he had that Rocky Mountain All Natural Beef Company right. and the Rocky Mountain Cattle Company. So of course Clive gets back from vacation. He's probably a horse.
2: He's probably selling horse meat.
1: And he discovers that he discovers this theft and of course he blows the whistle on Scott. He it was pretty obvious who was doing this, who was <laughs> right. stealing you, his money.
2: When you have the checks made out to yourself
1: it's not a long paper trail to get to scott Kimmel. i wonder how did he get this money so as a result of all of this now he's in hot water again what does scott do when he's in hot water we've seen it time and time again he flees this time he flees to california where he shacked up with yet another girlfriend i don't know how this guy managed to keep landing i don't know I don't because want he has to get
2: a, into b- a big beard and some <laughs> women really find the beard to be irresistible.
1: I there's no doubt in my mind that he's a smooth talker. And there's no doubt He's my,
2: completely full of shit.
1: There's no doubt in my mind that he can look at a room full of people and very quickly discern who are the gullible types and who are the vulnerable types right, right. in the room. So this woman her name is Denise Pierce. Now, back in Lafayette, finally, because of this whole new theft thing, we have a competent lawman, this is Detective Gary Thatcher, who started to look into Scott Kimball. Now, he couldn't find Scott physically, but what he found was a treasure trove of information. According to the Daily Camera, Thatcher found sheets of practice signatures, bogus subpoenas, regarding the assault case against Scott's ex, Lori, a counterfeit lien release for the Jeep that he used to cash in on the insurance proceeds after wrecking the vehicle. Right. So, so you see what we're pointing out here. There's a very good chance that this insurance claim in itself is fraudulent, but then when you trace it back even a little bit further, it's a counterfeit lean release on the Jeep. Right. It doesn't appear that Scott Kimball even owned the Jeep. Now this immediately appeared to detective Thatcher that this Scott Kimball was not your average ordinary criminal. So Thatcher sat down with Lori and she told Thatcher about all of Scott's strange behavior. And then she told him about her daughter, Casey. Remember, she is one of our missing people. Right. And how Scott was the last person who saw her before she vanished. And after some good old fashioned snooping around, Thatcher found the supposed stolen trailer hidden on Scott's old ranch property, which he had subleased out to someone else. So this is where I tell everybody, I'm glad that you're joining us in the garage this week, but I hope you brought your raincoat because there's going to be some shit.
2: Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today Get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com garage. Visit IXL.com garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com garage
1: today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. while your subscription is active.
2: All right, we're back. Cheers, me mateys.
1: Cheers there, Captain.
2: Only two people in the garage at a time.
1: So for reasons unknown, and I'm saying that sarcastically, Agent Schlaff was removed from Scott's case. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's because he was a super gullible sucker who let this con artist make the FBI look like a bunch of clowns. Um Scott's informant status was revoked and a federal arrest warrant was issued for Scott Lee Kimball right. for multiple parole violations. On March fourteenth, two thousand and six, federal agents finally caught up with Scott Kimball. They located him in California using cell phone tracking to pin down his location when he saw them coming he took off in his ford f-350 driving at dangerously high speeds flying through california's coachella valley this whole chase was broadcast on local tv and this was a lengthy car chase but finally scott's truck ran out of gas so he is arrested and sentenced this time in federal court to uh, he ends up getting 10 months in jail and six months in a halfway house for violating his parole. Now, I mean, uh, wh- how, how
2: much time does he get for just running from the cops like that?
1: Well, the thing is regarding this and, and I'm with you, I'm on your side here. This is not a big punishment, but what it does is it serves a bigger purpose of simply holding Scott in one place under watch until more cases could be built against him.
2: Right. But I I would assume that it would have to be years of punishment for going on a high speed chase like that. Right. I mean, you have,
1: I I don't want to get all political here. Go ahead. So what we have here is they're trying to build possible murder charges against this guy. So around the same time, The Colorado Bureau of Investigation, they officially list Casey as a missing person. Right. So, all right. So, sorry to
2: keep... That is Scott's stepdaughter.
1: Well, she, she, in a sense, would have been because he is involved with Lori. Casey lived with him and Lori for a while. It's not until after she disappears that the two actually got married. Right. But... Keep in mind, Lori, when her daughter goes missing, thinks that that her daughter's out on a drug bender and disappeared. And she also thinks that Scott's an actual FBI agent. That's what he's been telling her this whole time. And I'm sure on some level she thought, you know what, it'd be easier to find my daughter if I'm married to an FBI agent. And you
2: and I. Well, he was also giving her tips.
1: Yeah. Pull and, back the curtain. We know that he's not an actual FBI agent. And right. we also know that he's scamming everybody uh, in, in every f- walk of life that, that he comes into.
2: Well, and it's a, like you were saying, it's kind of a perfect storm. If you meet somebody and they say that they're a, a police officer, you might assume that, well, here seems to be an honest individual. Mm-hmm. You, you tell me that you're an FBI agent. Oh, even higher. Just like if somebody said, well, I'm a youth minister, then you start assuming that they have a a certain set of moral standards and moral character. Mm -hmm. That's not always the case.
1: Right. And I'm sorry to keep jumping around, Captain, but there are a lot of families involved in this growing case, and unfortunately, Mm. there's a lot of victims, as we are now seeing. Well, just don't hit your head. but what will happen is eventually two of the fathers of the missing will join forces. So we have, remember the newspaper article that we discussed about the billboard. This is seen by Rob McCloud, the father of missing young woman, Casey, the, the former, you know, daughter of right. his girlfriend or would have been stepdaughter for Scott Kimball. Now, by this time, he knows That Scott is believed to be the last person to see or to be with Casey. His daughter. Yeah. And he also knows that Scott's phone had been turned off for a long period of time. And, of course, this is right around the time that Casey vanished. So the two dads, together with Lori, they did some snooping. And Lori mentions Scott's Uncle Terry. He's missing too, or at least he he was there one day and he's no longer there. So Rob and Bob went to the FBI's Denver office, this in October of 2006, and they're really kind of trying to lay out all of their suspicions for the FBI there. And the FBI assigned Special Agent Jonathan Grussing to investigate the missing persons cases surrounding Scott Kimball. So we have Jennifer Casey and Terry that they are aware of at this time. It took the two dads putting the puzzle together for the FBI to get a clue as to what was going on with their one-time informant, Scott Kimball. Right now back to detective Gary Thatcher. He's the one investigating Scott on the theft of the $55,000 from the optometrist. He was shocked when he learned that Scott Kimball was, In fact, at one time, an FBI informant. So then he teams up with the now special agent who's in charge of looking into these missing persons cases. So now here's what we got going on. For those of you keeping score at home, we got two of the families have teamed up and they're like, this dude is suspicious. He's probably involved in the missing persons case of our loved one. And, And now we have a very competent, a very good, hardworking detective Investigating Scott Kimball for theft charges and whatever else he might be involved in. And we have a competent FBI agent who's looking at Scott for actual missing persons cases because he's duping so many people and lying to everyone. And he's fairly decent at covering his tracks or at least at leaving the area. It really, truly takes some people to team up together to really piece this story together and figure out what this guy might be guilty of.
2: Right. But now we have these detectives that are involved trying to, like you said, piece together all these puzzle pieces so they can get some serious charges against this individual. Mm -hmm. We have several women that he's the last known person to be with them. And now we have the FBI going, well, we got a little bit of egg on our face because he was one of our informants.
1: Mm -hmm. Big, stinky egg.
2: (laughs) Big, stinky egg uh, all over our face. And now we're going to work with these detectives, again, to try to put together those pieces so we can charge them with some serious stuff.
1: Yeah. And one, one comment that I found to be very interesting in regards to these inspectors, that they would say years later, they're like, you know, at that time, as soon as we came together with all this information, we knew immediately that the number of missing persons surrounding this one man were just too coincidental. And they believed that they were probably looking at a series of murders, you know, saying that in the light of Casey McLeod, Jennifer Markham's disappearance, and don't forget Terry Kimball, uncle Terry's disappearance. Right. They are now starting to suspect that Scott wasn't just this con artist or thief. He's very likely a serial killer. Right. So the investigators started the process and worked doggedly to put their case together. They were assisted by two Boulder County prosecutors. This is Katharina Booth and Amy Akobu, who were eager to lock up Scott and throw away the key. Both were convinced that Scott was guilty of a lot of evil deeds Now, Amy told the Daily Camera, quote, it couldn't be a coincidence. There were too many people missing that he was last known to be with. The two women started looking into Scott's criminal history to see where they could possibly re-arrest him on old charges, basically to keep him in jail while they continue to build some type of murder case against him. Right. So, Boulder County issued a warrant for Scott's arrest on suspicion of theft forgery and false reporting for the optometrist Cleve Armstrong's case. And then in the meantime, Scott's suspended sentence in the 2001 Montana theft and escape case was revoked and he was ordered to serve his remaining time. This is nearly two years behind bars, right? The team bought themselves some more time. Basically the lady prosecutors were such a thorn in Scott's side that he complained about them in recorded jailhouse conversations, always referring to them as the Boulder Bitches. So, <laughs> good for them, though. I feel like that should be a really good softball team. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> like, like they've won eighteen championships in a row.
2: Yeah, Boulder Bitches.
1: So now they are like they're very strongly looking not just at Scott Kimball as the man they're looking into everywhere that he had been. And now we got to look at everyone he may have come into contact with during this time.
2: Well, not only that, but you see time and time again, whether it's in print or a documentary about this guy, people saying when you have at least four people missing that are connected to this individual and he's, constantly lying about everything you have to start then going back to did he live in your town and is there somebody missing that possibly was connected to him
1: well and and it makes it difficult because he's lived under so many different names yeah you know was he going by Joe Snitch or the captain or the colonel hey you leave me out of this <laughs> i'm trying to have some fun this is the one time this week that i get to leave my house Mm. So when they're looking into all of the places that he's been and people who he's come in contact with, this is when they're going to figure out that um, he's owned some guns during this time. And remember, he's prohibited from owning firearms, having them in his possession per terms of his federal probation. So prosecutors jumped at this chance to pile on more charges against Scott. So he was indicted in federal court in Denver on a charge of a felon in possession of a firearm. And then in June of 2007.
2: Do you know how many years he got for that?
1: I don't know. Um, and, and I may have come across that, but I started to, the notes got really lengthy on this guy with all the different court dates and different charges that they brought against him. I mean, we're talking about. Yeah, and all the victims. Since this guy became an adult, they're bringing charges against this guy. And, yeah, and and more importantly, all the victims. But um, I would imagine that doesn't seem like it should be a light charge to me. It varies from state to state. Uh, This was federal court, though. Um, Anyway, this this is just lengthening the amount of time he is going to have to be behind bars and build this case against him. So now we have. Detective Thatcher and Agent uh, Grussing, the FBI agent and the police detective, they sit down for a six hour interview with Scott Kimball. This is at the Cascade County Detention Facility. The investigators ask Scott about the disappearances of Jennifer Markham, of Casey McLeod, and Terry Kimball, his uncle. Scott, somewhat to the surprise of the two detectives, offered to provide information about Jennifer and his uncle, if given immunity for his white-collar crimes. Now, Scott also told them that Casey was still alive. Scott danced around providing actual details, saying instead, I can't incriminate myself any further. Mm -hmm. Now, in a later interview, he said that Casey had OD'd somewhere in a national forest in Colorado and that he had seen her fall into the fire while high on meth, causing her death. Yeah, don't buy it at all. Detectives continued to interview everyone who had come in contact with Scott. This led them to Steve Ennis, Jennifer's boyfriend, who was still in federal prison. As they talked, he told them about how he had trusted Scott to take care of Jennifer on the outside. He denied the existence of the murder for hire plot, and he believed that Scott was responsible for Jennifer's disappearance. But then Steve dropped a bomb. He said he knew another guy, who experienced almost the exact same thing, and he gave the detectives the name of Stephen Holly. Now, Stephen Holly, you may recall, was the one dating Leanne Emery. Somebody that we haven't talked about at all yet in this in this episode. We talked about her briefly last week. Now, Stephen, just like the other inmate, Stephen uh, Ennis also put his trust into Scott while they were in prison together. This in 2002. Remember, he told his girlfriend Leanne to trust Scott. Scott was pretending that he was going to help Stephen escape from prison and that he was going to help get his girlfriend to him in Mexico once Stephen had escaped. But once Scott gets out of prison, it appears that he seduced Leanne. Because the two went on the multi-state check overdraft spree. And then Leanne magically disappears. The yeah,
2: I, I, it's questionable if he seduced her for, or if he got in contact with her. And, and just stole the she's, information. Well, she's very young. I mean, he could, That's have, true. He could have said, look, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill your family if you don't cooperate.
1: So this is where they're like, wait, we, we have a possible another, another victim here. So they contact Leanne's father. His name's Howard.
2: Yeah, but let's just be clear. We got three possible missing women connected to Scott and then a male, his uncle, right? That's the count so far.
1: Right, which his his uncle's story is a little less nefarious in the sense that it doesn't seem to be obvious that this guy was missing. Remember, he came up with the story of... of his uncle hit the yeah won the lottery and went to Mexico it i would guess for detectives that it's only once they mention uncle terry's name to scott in this interview that he says oh i can probably help you on that case that they're 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 now going wait a second there's probably something here
2: well the look when you say he won the lottery where did he win the lottery ohio good state they look up the records The state of Ohio never paid out Terry, never paid out Scott's uncle. So he didn't win. And they were able to find that out pretty quickly. So they know that that story is bullshit.
1: So when they contact this Leanne Emery's father, Howard, the first thing he says to the FBI is is like, I've been trying to get the FBI's attention on this for years. I've told them that someone using the name Hannibal... Was responsible for the disappearance of my daughter. So then, this is when we have Stephen Holly. He confirmed for detectives what they are now suspecting that Hannibal was yet just another alias for Scott Kimball. Right. Furthermore, Stephen Holly told investigators that Hannibal asked him that once Holly escaped from prison. To this is this is just bizarre, man. He he says that Scott Kimball using the name of Hannibal. Ask this other inmate, once I help you escape from prison and you're out, I want you to torture and kill my second wife, who is also the mother of Scott's two boys. Right. But when you do this, I want her to know that I was the one that sent you to kill her. Right. So the evidence, Captain, is obviously piling up against Scott Kimball and pointing out that he probably killed multiple people. Detectives dug in and looked into every aspect of his life. In addition to interviews with people, detectives gathered the following pieces of evidence. This is a, uh, starts off with a search of Scott's Toshiba laptop computer, which revealed the following a search of the term Jennifer Markham missing. They also found pictures of various women, including Leanne Emery. Uh, This picture of Leanne Emery is dated just 11 days before she disappeared. They found 291 graphic images and their statement says depicting women clothed and unclothed being assaulted, forced into violent sexual activities or raped, bound and gagged. Um, possibly some pictures of women posing as being dead, and then some of them threatened at gunpoint or knife point. The search also discovered that Scott had visited online rape video sites using the moniker Beefman 1996. A search of Scott's former Adams County home, investigators found bloodstains in the living room carpet. And carpet pad and floorboards. Mm -hmm. So they cut out all these samples and they're taking them, collecting them, and they sent them to the FBI lab for analysis. Well, it's
2: good thing that the two fathers got together and started trying to put together the pieces of this puzzle. But now we don't just have hearsay or this guy went by Hannibal or somebody just saying, you know, he said, she said stuff. We actually have now physical evidence against Scott Kimball.
1: Yeah. And so th- they're looking at Scott's cell phone records and you talked about suspicions and what, what people are relaying to law enforcement, but we're going to get a confirmation right here because as soon as they look at his cell phone records, they saw that, yes, in fact, his phone did go offline from 8 15 PM on August 23rd, 2003, all the way through 4.38 p.m. on August 24th, 2003. Now it's during this two, this 20-hour period that Casey McLeod vanished. Right. And And Scott, according to his statements, he was alone in the mountains, which we know is not a great alibi. Right. So when the phone comes back online, it pinged a tower near Walden, Colorado in a search of some boxes of old documents and receipts of Scott's law enforcement discovered a receipt from North park supers grocery store in Walden, Colorado. The receipt was for $17 and 95 cents showing that Scott purchased pasta, meat, spaghetti sauce, and lighter fluid. Okay. So this is at the same time,
2: Well, he wanted to make his sauce a little spicy.
1: This is at the same time when Casey McLeod disappeared, but also was supposedly picked up for work to go to work by Scott. And remember, we know she never shows up for work at Subway that day. Right. In fact, there's no record of anyone having seen her ever again after this. And again, Scott claims he was hunting alone in the mountains that day. And Walden is in the mountains. Sounds more like Scott was up there hunting for somewhere to dispose of Casey's body and hunting for something to burn it with.
2: Right. And not to mention that before he was telling her mother, Casey's mother, hey, the neighbor saw her and, and you know, I picked her up and, and all these little lies. And they come to find out that those aren't true either.
1: Mm hmm. Yeah, and remember the strange statement from Scott where he told police in an interview that he said Casey OD'd on meth and died in a national forest. Well, Walden is surrounded by a national forest. In a later search of the trailer, the, the supposed stolen trailer, hidden by Scott, investigators found Casey's subway hat. Along with with that, they found a black bag containing six zip ties, two rolls of electric tape, and a pair of women's shoes. Agent Gressing called over to the authorities in Walden, and they found out that a skull and skeleton likely belonging to a young female was discovered by a hunter six months earlier in a remote area southwest of town. After DNA testing, it was confirmed that these were the remains of Casey McLeod. Unfortunately, there was no way to tell the cause or manner of her death.
2: Yeah, but at least you have a body and we know that it's harder to prosecute a murder case without a body.
1: And it's not terribly far off from where you know or believe Scott was, and it's not terribly far off from what his alibi was. I'm alone in the mountains. This is in the mountains. Right. So it's looking very bad for Scott. Now investigators, they also spoke with an inmate who knew Scott. This inmate has not been named publicly, but this inmate told them that Scott said he had strangled Casey with a dog collar and smashed her head in with a rock this because she was a witness against the leader of a powerful drug gang but again Casey's cause of death could not be determined from her remains and her skull of course showed no signs of fracture.
2: Everybody stay healthy, stay safe. And if you need something more to do, check us out on the Stitcher app. It's free. You can get all of our old episodes and check out our bonus show on Stitcher Premium called Off the Record. And until tomorrow, be good, be kind,
1: and don't let it.